you have your Bibles, take them. Turn to page uh, 696 if you're grabbing one of the Pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible at home, I want you to know that that one in the Pew is for you. Uh, We would love for you to take that home and continue reading. Uh, We've been in this journey through Mark, and I've been asking you to read the same chapter uh, every day of the week, and then I will preach from somewhere in that chapter. This week we are in Mark chapter 15. And we're getting near the end. There's only one more chapter. Um, After that, uh, we have a a short series before we get into uh, Advent. And that season that we all love and enjoy. And and so we're going to take a a brief look at some actions that teach us our faith. Uh, I know that sounds strange because we think that information... We're so consumed with information, we think that information will bring transformation. And, and there are reasons why the early church decided, no, there, there are some actions. We, we don't think our way into a new way of living. We live our way into a new way of thinking. And so uh, we're going to take a look at some of those actions. And so if you want to learn uh, some, maybe some new ways or maybe hear some new things about old ways, I want to encourage you to be here all during the month. Of November, uh, it's going to be great. Advent starts all the way in December, so we have four full weeks to devote to this. So I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 15, the culmination of the gospel. And so, if you are able, I would like to invite you to stand in reverence to the gospel as told to us by Mark beginning at verse 16. Mark 15, beginning at verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on Him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on Him. And they began to call out to Him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck Him on the head with a staff and spit on Him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with Him also heaped insults on Him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? 
When some of those standing near him heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women, women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was the day, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. This is the written word of God given to the people of God. May the Holy Spirit use it to lead us to the living Word of God, who is Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, these are, these are hard passages um, to read and to hear in a few different ways. Uh, part of it is kind of like a, a few years ago uh, on Good Friday, we showed the Passion of the Christ. And I'll never forget when Pastor Ken came out, um, we were talking in the lobby, and he said, man, if you love Jesus, that is a hard film to watch. <laughs> it's true. And when we hear these passages read, because we love Jesus, we have a hard time hearing them. And, and that really kind of goes along with the culture of Jesus' day. If you were a good, respectable, even Roman citizen, you didn't even mention the word cross. It was almost a swear word. It was so horrific and so vulgar and stuff. You just left it out of your vocabulary. You just don't even talk about it. But it's also difficult because there's a lot of baggage, uh, theological baggage, and it's also difficult because we think we know what this is all about and what this means, and so it's, it's hard to, to hear it again because we think, oh yeah, we know, we know, we know, we know. Okay, let's move on. Let's get to next Sunday where we talk about the resurrection. And so in all these things, I want us to pause and I really wrestled with how do I help us understand what's going on in this passage and specifically what Mark is trying to do uh, in this wonderful literary form of genre. And it it made me think as I was studying, and, and this will make sense, I hope, towards the end. It made me think of this Bizarre thing that uh, used to take place whenever my mom and dad were at somebody's birthday. Okay, we would often, uh, as uh, a pastor's family, we'd be with folks as they were celebrating their birthday. And my dad, I mean, if you didn't know this, my dad had quite a sense of humor. And uh, he's a quiet guy, uh, gentle, but sometimes it was a little weird sense of humor. And so he would sing this birthday song uh, to people. Maybe you have heard it. Um, and, and people would, would ask for it every year after. It was, it was so strange. But it would go something like this. 
Happy birthday, happy birthday. Sin and sorrow in the air, people dying everywhere. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Don't you feel blessed? I mean, it's it's a funny song. It's funny, and to, and to have it sung by my dad, it just seemed even weirder. And uh, but there's something about it, right? It's it's funny, uncomfortably, and uh, and it's weird because yes, it's saying happy birthday. We're celebrating, woo, another year alive, and at the same time, we're getting closer and closer to death, right? And uh, and there are still all these weird things going on in the world as we're celebrating our life. And, uh, and so we just laugh about that. Jeff, are you? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. You are right. That is right. Especially when you are as young as Lucy is. Thank you, Lucy, for correcting us. Yes, you're exactly right. And so we, uh, but it's, it's funny. It's this weird, ironic kind of humor that goes on with this weird singing that Lucy has so correctly pointed out is absolutely wrong. So when Mark is taking us through this very difficult part about the death of Jesus, he takes something that would have been very familiar to anybody in that generation, and he takes it and he twists it ironically to get the point across of what is actually happening in society, what is actually happening that maintains that society and shows in the same instance that there could be a different way of living life. And so Mark takes this thing that would be very familiar to those who had been conquered by the Romans, and that is a Roman victory parade. He takes this, and there are some specific things that happen whenever there is a Roman victory parade, okay? So this, this is the scholarly part, okay? So we, we kind of go into this. We're going to jump in for just a little bit. Okay, so you see here it's a parade, uh, but there are a lot of things that go into it. It's more than just the pomp and circumstance. It's more than just the walking through. And so I want us to see that first... First of all, a Roman victory parade has to start inside a fort, a military outpost that's called a praetorium. So if you were to look back at verse uh, verse 16 of Mark chapter 15, you would see where was Jesus taken. In fact, Mark really spells it out. He he wants there to be no uh, doubt about this. He says he was taken away into the palace. That is the praetorium. So, so Jesus is taken here. It's, it's like, okay, oh, we're at the beginning of a victory march. This is, this is a victory march. Oh, but this is different. And so he, he takes them into the praetorium. And, and then after that, what would happen to the leader or to the emperor in the praetorium is they would take the purple robe off of the statue of Jupiter. And they would put it around the emperor and they would hail him and they would they would say what a wonderful thing he was. And so uh, what do we see there again in Mark fifteen seventeen that a purple robe is placed upon Jesus. They probably had one right there and they took it off the statue of Jupiter and they put it on him and they began to hail him in mockery. They began to to say, hail, king of the Jews. They did this. 
Then they would put a crown of laurel upon Caesar. And they would put that on his head as they were continuing to hail him and give him a staff. And and uh, Jesus is also crowned. But instead of laurel leaves, smooth and soft, uh, he has a crown of thorns beaten into his head with the staff that should have been given to him, the regal staff. He moves on and, and we see that then the parade would begin. And whenever the parade began to march through whatever town it was, usually in Rome, we're talking about Rome here. Remember, Mark is writing to the church in Rome, to people in Rome. What they would do is they would parade the spoils of war before uh, the, the Roman emperor comes in. And that would include prisoners. That would include treasure and there would be a sacrificial bull that is marched through that would eventually be sacrificed in front of the, the god Jupiter in, in, in Rome. And so all of that is there, but we see Jesus, uh, oh, and, and that they would go down the Via Sacrificia. That was the road. And so we have Jesus who is the prisoner and the treasure and the sacrifice. And he is led down the Via Dolorosa. You see how Mark is just taking this, this very familiar thing and he's, he's turning it on his head as he goes. There's, there's more that goes there. Uh, so then the parade ends in Rome at Capitoline Hill. Capitoline, it means head. You know, that's what we say when we say we have a capital, right? It's the head place of government. And so Caesar would then be taken up Capitoline Hill, which means head hill. Where is Jesus crucified? Golgotha. What is it? The place of the skull. Instead of a living head, we have this place, a head of death. Mark is just brilliant at how he is doing this. And these Roman readers would have seen this and understood this. And there, uh, wine would be offered to Caesar. And wine and myrrh is offered to Jesus, and he refuses. We're just about done. Caesar, of course, would be flanked by two officials as he is marched into victory and standing before the crowds of Rome just below the hill there. Jesus, of course is flanked by two rebel insurgents. I put it there because we think of robbers. We think they were out pickpocketing or something like that. No, they were insurgents. They were those who had protested against the Roman Empire and had taken up arms against it. And they were crucified, one on either side. You see how this is kind of like that morbid happy birthday. It is taking this victory celebration that they would have understood and heard and they would have known what was going on and they would have seen that Mark is saying Jesus turns all of this on its head. Takes this very familiar thing and, and just transforms it into instead of a celebration of victory for the Roman Empire, he exposes it for the death that it causes in order to have that victory. Then, the triumphs would have been given out by Caesar to his generals. These are the ones who had killed the most, captured the most, and destroyed the most. But what does Jesus do? Jesus forgives all, healed all, He restored all, and now we are watching Him die for all. 
It's brilliant. It is a brilliant piece of literature. If you're not so sure about the Jesus thing, then just admire this gospel for its incredible literary genius in the way that Mark tells the story in a way that his Roman, his Roman readers would have been captivated and transformed by. It, it, it is absolutely brilliant. And so we see then that we have the throne. And here in the Gospel of Mark is the throne of Jesus. Not the throne with the throngs cheering, but a cross where the crowds are jeering, hurling insults and abuse. Here is the, cra- the, 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 the throne of the kingdom of God. I know this is, this is hard for us to hear, hard for us to maybe get our minds around, but this is it. I know we want to rush all the way to resurrection. Come back next week, we'll get there. But for today, you have to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with the fact that Jesus' throne was this cross. And this is it. And so here's where we have to, to do a little unpacking. Just like this poor donkey needs that cart. A little unpacked. Because honestly, most of you are, yeah, I understand. Okay, I got that. Good. But there is some really terrible theology and some really terrible understandings that have been attached to even this story. I know we unpacked chapter 13 a few weeks ago and we, we had to do a lot of this, but there's some that's bad here and, and we can't go through all of it. And, and of course there are four gospels and so, uh, we're gonna try as best we can to stick to Mark, okay? So we're just gonna see the text in Mark. But one of the first terrible things that we attach to this is that somehow God was punishing Jesus. And so I want to read some quotes, and I really love what Brian Zond says about this. Uh, he's a pastor at Word of Life Church in, in uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. But he really undoes this, and, and I want to read this to you. He says, Calvary is not where we see how violent God is. Calvary is where we see how violent our civilization is. Jesus sacrificed himself to the love of God. Manifest in forgiveness, not to the wrath of God for the satisfaction of vengeance. Could I get an amen there? You see, we can sometimes attach this understanding that somehow God just needed to beat up Jesus so he could love us. I'm sorry, my friends. If that was the case, I know I'm jumping into Luke already, but if that were the case, why would he have... Why would he have told the story of the prodigal son? If this was the case, the prodigal son would have gone like this. Here comes the prodigal son who squandered everything and he's coming back. And the father sees him coming, runs, gets the older brother who has done nothing wrong and kills him so he can run to the son and love him. You see how this doesn't make sense. What Jesus is doing in Mark's gospel is showing that the violence of civilization and what it requires to have peace. Because we have the Romans who are saying, peace, peace, Pax Romana, this is what we kill. Yeah, you know how you keep that peace? You crucify anyone who believes anything differently. And Jesus exposes that incredibly on this. And he surrenders himself to 
the love of God that is manifest in forgiveness. Not to the wrath of God to you know, kind of somehow satisfy vengeance. The sacrifice of Jesus was necessary to convince us to quit producing sacrificial victims. But it was not necessary to convince God to forgive. To forgive sinners is the nature of God. Is that good news to you today? Must not be many sinners here. This is important that we begin to understand that this is what is going on for Mark when he talks about Jesus ascending to his throne on the cross. And as he uses this beautiful, ironic flip of a very popular event. Lastly, Pastor Brian says, The crucifixion is not what God inflicts upon Jesus in order to forgive. The crucifixion is what God endures in Christ as He is forgiving. That should be good news. And the hope is that we become like the God that we serve. So if we serve a God that we think had to beat up an innocent person and kill them in order to love somebody else, no wonder we can wind up with the church that we can wind up with. That's so angry and against and fighting and wrangling instead of the God who so loved that He was willing to endure the cross in order to forgive. This is good news, my brothers and my sisters. I hope you have ears to hear it. And I hope more than anything you have hearts that are open to be transformed by it. Because this is more radical. More radical. And our world is waiting to see a church that believes this. We have to go on. Because there's another bad theological idea that's been attached to the crucifixion. And that is that God abandoned Jesus. He looked to, you know, yeah, uh, I can't deal with that. And yes, I want to say, okay, you know, because some of you are going to say, but what about? And I'm going to say, well, what about Jesus saying, and Mark even wrote it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Doesn't that prove that he was abandoned? I mean, why would he cry out that God had forsaken him if he didn't forsake him? Well, I want you to know that uh, what this is, is that he is quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a beautiful psalm. And its beauty lies in the fact that it is a worship song of ruthless trusting in God. Yes, it is real in its circumstances. It does begin with that phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is real. It talks about that. And I guarantee if I ask you to raise your hands today, some of you have experienced at some point in your life circumstances so tragic that you found yourself asking, Where is God in the midst of all of this? And you began to wonder, My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? And so it is real in that, but it is relentless in its trust. It lives holding the tension between the reality of what it feels like that God is abandoned and the truth that God will never abandon. 
it ends like this. And I think this is so powerful. I think you need to, to have this just read. Okay? Psalm 22. This is the end of Psalm 22. Begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Listen to this. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Wow. Powerful. Posterity will serve. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. So it's no surprise that we hear Jesus in the final act of our Roman victory parade gives what would happen at that moment, the Caesar, when he gets to the end and all has taken place, he would give the cry of victory and the crowds would shout back the cry of victory. And we have Mark saying Jesus on the cross in his throne gives a loud cry that he has done it. And all the world will be changed because of what He has done. And it will be proclaimed to those yet unborn that He has done it. He has shown a different way. He has shown the forgiveness of our God which is endless. The mercy which can never be, you cannot fathom the depth of. It is there. And He cries in victory and He breathes His last. Wow. Mark. I don't know about you. That, that's just, I want to take notes on myself. That's like, man, this is good news. Mark did a good job here. You get to heaven, you see him, you tell him what an amazing job he did. This is this is good stuff. It's the cry of victory. Jesus lived and died, exposing the darkness of violence and religion and in power, in politics and in military. Did all of that. And more importantly, he was showing us the radical, scandalous, wonderful, amazing, sacrificial love of his father who would rather die than create another victim of violence. And that's why we see the violent, sacrificial system of the temple torn in two. Just like when you've created a paper and you realize, no, this is no good anymore. You just rip it in two, right? It's done. There's nothing separating God from His people anymore. The mercy will be out everywhere, not trapped locally in a temple. It will be in you and you and you and you and you. And, and if you believe it in me, and it is out and it is free and it is gone. And it shows that the violence of political power and systems is bankrupt. I don't know, that ought to preach to us today. Violence that says, oh, we, we keep peace. It, it calls out the lie. Are you ready for the lie? The lie is that violence can be used to save us. That is the lie. Exposed on the cross. Romans would have said, Pax Romana, Pax Romana. Peace of Rome, peace of Rome. The peace of Rome comes with a sword and a cross. It's not peace. It's violence. And God says, here I am into the violence. 
exposing the violence, showing you and me that there's a different way that we can live. You and I can actually and are called to lead a life that lets go of violence. That lets go. That doesn't believe the lie that violence will save you. Violence will never save you. It will eat you alive from the inside. That's why we still say, that's why we still say that this is our leader. Here is our leader. And I know you're going to say, oh, well, what about the resurrection? We will get to the resurrection. Stay at the cross for a second. Don't run from it. Here it is. Here is your leader. You will see next week the resurrection. And the resurrection, I'm just going to let you in on a little bit, signifies that yes, the way that Jesus represented God to humanity was absolutely correct. And life, life has the final word, not death. But you cannot have life, you cannot have resurrection without death. And here it is. This is what we are called to walk into. This is what we are called to live into. We are called to be a people who live committed absolutely to the God who will never abandon us even when it feels like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are absolutely committed to living and being people of mercy and grace and peace even to the point of death. Because this is the God that we serve. This is the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. This is the God What God is willing to endure to save all of humanity, not just the nice ones. Brothers and sisters, this ought to excite you. And it ought to scare you to death. Because it is very natural for you and I to say, I can't live that way. Oh, but wait. Oh, wait. Because there will be one who comes. Not only is Jesus resurrected, but He will give you the same power that allowed Him to live this way, the same power that rose Him from the grave. The same power can live in you and me, and you can live the Jesus way. That's good news. The bankrupt news is the way that I've just got to do it the way it's always been done. Pastor, that's not how we get things done on earth. You have to have might and muscle in order to get things accomplished, to keep the peace, to put the bad guys where they need to go. That's the lie that Jesus exposes. He says, no, there's another way to live. It is to love your enemy as you love yourself. It is to let go of violence, thinking that violence will save you. It is to live in the Jesus way. Well, I've preached it as best I know how. This is what Mark says about the crucifixion of our Lord, of our leader. Has it exposed anything in you? Has it exposed the ways of violence in our world? that are still here. And can I say with all the love and respect, every nation on the planet has been built on violence. Everyone. Including ours. I, I promise you, 
Go back. George Washington, John Adams, they did not hug their way into the United States of America. They didn't forgive the British. They took up arms and they killed them. And then we placed people in slavery so we could have good economics and survive. We are no different. And the cross of Jesus exposes even the violence in our system. And you and I as church members, as followers of the crucified Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are called to live a life that exposes the violence in the system by forgiving, by loving, by being gracious. We are called to this, brothers and sisters. It ought to scare you. That's probably why when Jesus was crucified, all the disciples left. Except for the women, yay women, who wanted to know that maybe there was just something more that was happening here. For some of you today, this is brand new. And so I want to sing, I want to sing the happy birthday that Lucy wants us to sing. I want, us, I want you to know that, that you can place your trust in this Jesus. You can place your trust in his Father the way that he placed his trust, even in the death-like circumstances. And there's something about that that brings new life because you don't have to live in the system of the world of death. You can live in the system of life and grace and mercy and peace that is one without violence, but is one by surrendered love. And if that's you today, I want to invite you to place your trust in that. I want to invite you to place your trust in the one who loved you so much and wanted you to know how far God was willing to go to forgive. Who wanted you to have your eyes wide open to the violence in the system and wanted to call you to something greater than just violence upon violence. If you place your trust in that today, you, brother and sister, will be reborn. You won't be able to see things the way you've always seen them. Something new will happen in you. You will begin to travel in the ways of love and true peace that only God can bring. You will be born again. I know that's a John phrase, not a Mark phrase, but I'm going to use it anyways. You will be born again. And this is what I'm calling you to. This is what Jesus calls us to. And I know I'm so nervous about preaching this to you today. And if you want to talk to me afterwards, that's fine. But this is the truth of the gospel. I will stand on it till the day I die. If you tell me you don't want me to be your pastor or not again, this is where I stand. I can do no other. Isn't that a great Protestant Reformation sentence? Right here. Because this is the only thing that will change the world. It's the only thing. And only Jesus can do it in you. So why don't you give your life to Him? Let Him teach you and train you in the ways of peace. In the ways of love. 
and the ways of hope in a God that is relentless even in the face of death. It will transform your life and the life of those around you. I hope today is your happy birthday. Let's pray. Father, you've heard what I believe is Mark wanted us to hear. Because just as violent as the Romans were, we can be today, and maybe more so. So, Father, call us today through the death of your Son, the proclamation of the good news that you are the God willing to endure. All that our society has to offer, which is just violence upon violence upon violence, in order to show us forgiving love. In order to show us there is a different way that we can live, and it is a way that transforms the world from the inside out. So help us today to surrender to that love. And may we be reborn. May we be like that centurion who at the foot of the cross saw the way that Jesus died. Not, in vi- not, not with violence on his lips, but with forgiveness and a cry of victory. And may we be like him and say, surely this man was the Son of God. Oh God, help us. Help us to be like you. We cannot do it on our own. We need resurrection power. So help us today. For we pray all of these things in the name of the One who showed us Your love while exposing the darkness and calls us to live in His glorious light. The light of wholeness and peace. The light of shalom. The light of love and grace. The light of mercy received and given out. May we become those kinds of people in His name and for His kingdom's sake. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, if you heard something new today and you said, today's my birthday, Pastor Jeff, there may be some of you who have been to church all your life and you've never heard this. But you said, yeah, I, I want in on that. Today's my birthday. Would you raise your hand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Today's my birthday. That's what I want. That's what I want. Yep, that's what I want. Raise your hands all over. Keep them up. Today, that's what I want. I want to be a part of that kingdom. Yep, I'm scared. I'm nervous, but I want to be a part of that kingdom. Today's my birthday. Today's my birthday. Yep. You can put your hands down. Lord Jesus, you see those hands. Help them to have your eyes tomorrow, your heart tomorrow, your ears tomorrow. May their mouths become mouths that declare mercy and forgiveness at all costs to themselves. I pray they will find you like Jesus did, faithful to the end. And may they come back week after week, declaring like the end of the psalm, He has done it. He has done it. He has done it. 
Hallelujah. And amen. Would you stand? Receive the final blessing. And now, may you, my brothers and sisters, dare to trust the one who died to show you the forgiving mercy of God. May you receive it. May you send it out into the world. May you trust the one who is merciful and gracious to be with you all the way through every suffering and every event that calls forth the grace and mercy and love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray this would happen for you in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great, great afternoon.